This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we watch sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Sequest, 2032, Season 3, Episodes 1 and 7. After becoming unwitting but desperately needed allies to the Hyperion Civil War, we fell to destruction and into a deep meditative coma in the icy Hyperion Sea. Some of us didn't make it. We lost some very good friends. But that's what war does. Tobias and some of his rebel friends were able to liberate some rescue pods and bring us back to Earth. But that was five days and ten Earth years later. What seems to have happened is they erased our memories and transported us from the time we heard Scott's call, transported us wet and unconscious to the last peaceful thought we had in our minds before we were about to die. Welcome to Continuing Drag, the podcast you find in a field in Iowa. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I think the real title to this uh, first episode we're going to talk about, episode one called Brave New World, it should be called episode one, Course Correction. Don't you think Course so? Course Correction? That's not a bad. It actually would be kind of a fun, uh, fun title yeah. if they did that. I think it works in two ways. Obviously, uh, when we talk about what the plot is, and then the actual tone and like almost the thematic change of the show it's all a big course correction yeah yeah well we're entering season three which is an, another another big shift for the show which is interesting to see but uh before we get into all of season three jordan should we uh play a little game i put together oh i love playing games well it's a bit uh it's it's gonna we're gonna play uh, a classic we're gonna play uh um, echo oh echo yeah 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 our version of the e-god yeah i bet i can even guess what they all are <laughs> You'll be perfect this time around. I won't. But before we get into it, I just thought I would do a quick uh, talk. We did, you talked a bit about the creation of Sequest yesterday, or yesterday, whenever we last recorded week. that last episode. Who's to say? Mm-hmm. Who's to say? <laughs> but you, we didn't end up talking about the creator of Sequest at all. Uh, that's true. We didn't. I'm going to attempt to pronounce his name. Rockney S. O'Bannon, I believe is how you would say mm-hmm. this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, I think it was O'Bannon, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting guy. He actually wrote the film Alienation. I saw that. Which, you know, had spawned, I think, by that point, the TV series. Though I don't think he was that heavily involved in the TV series. But that was kind of what he was coming into uh, when he started this show. But he also would go on to create the cult series Farscape. So he's got quite the resume himself. Yeah, I think he was... You're kind of reading between the lines from what I've seen. I think he was a pretty competent and talented person and probably was someone who could have guided the show in maybe a more interesting or different direction at least but i think there was so many factors whether it was studio involvement of different producers and actors i think it was just like a perfect storm everything not working for this show well i wrote an interview with him uh i'm, I'm gonna forget the name of the magazine one of those sci-fi magazines you'd see on the rack at some point mm-hmm. i used to love those by the way he gave a pretty frank interview about it. Um, and um, so he took on the series because he was excited to work with Steven Spielberg. Um, but of course, as we know now, it turned out to be a pretty difficult process. Um, like uh, Spielberg would just kind of come in and throw out ideas. And then his, uh, his you know, people who work for him would be like, well, put it in the script somehow. <laughs> right. Uh, for instance, Jordan, you'll never guess it. But uh, the old man hologram computer was Spielberg's idea. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, it's, it's funny you say that. I did read another interview where it said one of the major problems that people were complaining about in the first season is that camp sort of developed. And there was sort of like Spielberg sycophants who no matter what he said, bad or good or impossible or otherwise, people, there'd just be a group of people be like, it's Spielberg, just do what he says. And it's like, well, that can make a show hard. <laughs> I mean, speaking of impossible, I think one of his notes was he was hoping to have a sequence where Bridger was so rusty at the controls that he would like drive Sequest out of dock and like drag a bunch of pleasure ships with him. And like uh, <laughs> uh, O'Bannon in his interview was just like, I wrote it and I'm just like, we can't afford to do this. It's never going to be in the project, but I, no one's allowing me to take it out. So I guess this is what we're doing. Well, that's something. But yeah, he, he developed a few ideas that uh, in the pre-production stage. I think some of them became episodes in the show. But by and large, before they got finished the pilot, he had, he sort of moved on from the show. He kind of was just, it wasn't a good fit. He could see it wasn't going in a, in a direction that was going to work. So he kind of, he, he parted ways with it. Um, I believe he, he said he wrote the pilot by himself in six weeks before he left. And then it was kind of uh, kind of moved on to the, uh, the other showrunner you discussed last year who took over, or last year. I don't time. I don't know what time is anymore. It's either yesterday last or last episode. year. <laughs> it's the time change, Luke. Yeah, exactly. At any rate, that was sort of his his involvement. Although Jordan, I was trying to find this information because I was reading this stuff uh, and I just couldn't figure it out. There does not appear to be another pilot that was made that I can tell. This the pilot that was aired apparently was the original pilot. Well, that's the thing. I saw that, and I mentioned it last week, uh, last episode, whatever we're saying, um, and. I thought the same thing. What it had said was what was originally shot was put to the end of the season. I think that's a mistake because I couldn't find anything to back that up either because I was like, is it just like the finale or whatever? I have a feeling that's there's it's been lost in translation somewhere. And either there was reshoots on the pilot or the the episode was shot and then maybe added to later on and just maybe aired later in the season, but I have a feeling it wasn't. I think they just shut down and did some reshoots and essentially retooled the the pilot. Yeah, I think so, because the only writing credit O'Bannon has is on the pilot, so he would have got a great credit on a second pilot had it existed. Mm-hmm. I think what it is is he probably just got rewritten and got redone as it went through the process after he left. Um, but yeah, I could not find anything about that anywhere. Yeah. Um, and we actually had listener John uh, sent us an email, and he had sent some um, interviews with uh, the um, VP of uh, TV at Amblin uh, at the time, Philip Siegel, who uh, okay. had worked who had worked on this and worked on Earth Two, had worked on uh, the Young Indiana Jones show, and he would later attempt to bring Doctor Who to uh, America with a Doctor Who pilot. Um, it was interesting because, like, obviously we've talked about there is a creator on the show who's credited, but he clearly came in to work with Spielberg based on a concept that was kicking around the office. You last week talked about how Spielberg had been interested in some things like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which is kind of mm-hmm. what this brought around. In the interviews with this uh, with this gentleman, the very recent interviews, while he was uh, sort of at the head of TV at Amblin, he actually himself uh, says that he was the one who was interested in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, but was unable to obtain the rights to it. They just weren't available. So Interesting. this sort of built out of the ideas that he was having around there at Amblin at the same time. So it does seem like there's there's quite a few people who had ideas around this and brought this together. So it was interesting uh, Interesting to hear this man sort of talk about it like 40 years later about what he was working mm. on. Actually, I, uh, he was an interesting guy. I think, you would, I think you'd like him. He's, he's retired from film and TV now, so he just hangs out and he has a YouTube channel where he just builds like uh, uh, model spaceships and model ships and stuff uh, on his YouTube channel. I was like, Jordan could do that, I think. That would be a good retirement for him. Yeah, this sounds relaxing. I was just looking at Ship in a Bottle actually not too long ago. I was like, 
This is probably pretty hard, but I bet it's pretty satisfying when you finally get that boat in there, you know? Yeah, see? This could be you, Jordan. <laughs> From my retirement. All right, there's a lot of preamble before we play EGOT, um, EGOT Echo. Uh, but Jordan, you remember what the categories for Echo are, do, don't you? Yeah, you got your Emmys, you got your uh, Any Canadian Award, you got your Hugos, and... Um, Oh no! What's the O? It's the, the, the um, hardest one. Oscars, Oscars, Oscars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There it is. Jeez. All right, Jordan. We'll start with the Emmys first. How many Emmys do you think the creative team behind this one? Keeping in mind, there's people involved who are, you know, obviously the man who created Farscape, mm. Spielberg's in there. There's quite a there's quite a mm. castage of characters involved. And a rotating crew of uh, showrunners. Yeah, I think because there was so many different people in this, and I think there's probably some good and bad that comes out of that, I think it's going to be a pretty high number. I'm going to say 23. 23 Emmys. I'm afraid, Jordan, it is not 23. It is 13. Oh, 13. That's still not bad. That's nothing to complain about. That's no, not bad at all. How many of those do you think were uh, Spielberg's? Oh, I'd say probably about seven. Nine. He has nine of those, the 13. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he has them. Uh-huh. What? He has them at his house? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I, my, my, uh, my snooty little comment is I don't know how involved he was in the earning of the Emmy is what I'm saying. You're That's really, right. I'm taking down Spielberg. You're really denigrating Spielberg's achievements. <laughs> Honestly, does, does it matter? Like, honestly, I have no problem with Spielberg. I like a lot of his movies. But, like, let's say I was. Is he hurting? No, he's fine. I'm just a little guy. <laughs> you know you're, you're taking a shot at evil spielberg <laughs> yeah yeah I'm taking a shot at old spielberg he could take it he's fine all right jordan what about canadian awards canadian awards i have a feeling there's someone involved in somewhere in this production i'm going to say one there are three canadian awards jordan. really one of them is uh, a man who's taken over uh, some of the showrunning duties i believe in season three if i'm not mistaken uh naren shanker who uh, mm-hmm. was the showrunner of the um, Expanse? That's right. Yeah, uh, 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 Narain, and he also um, uh, wrote for Deep Space Nine and Star Trek: Next Generation. I think more Deep Space Nine than than TNG, but yes. And he also one of the episodes we're going to talk about. Um, the second episode, he wrote it as well. Yes, he won a Canadian Writers Guild Award for The Outer Limits. Oh, really? That's a weird one. Uh, and then uh, the other two awards, one by Spielberg. <laughs> I love that Spielberg won a Canadian award. Why won not? two, two Canadian awards. Yeah, that's more than us. <laughs> uh, one was the Toronto Critics Association Award, and one was a TIFF People's Choice for this year's The Fablemans. Oh, okay. Did you see that? I have not seen it yet. Nah, me neither. I'll see it eventually. Yeah, maybe. All right, Jordan. How many Hugos do you think the team behind this has won? I'm going to say um, four. Oh, you're so close this time. It is five awards. Interesting. We've, of course, got the director of Empire Strikes Back. He's going to win something. That's right. Uh, the showrunner of The Expanse. He's going to win something, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then Spielberg's going to win three. <laughs> <laughs> I keep forgetting Spielberg's on here. He's just like, it's just like having like a like a home run hitter every time. That's true. Uh, Raiders, Last Crusade, and Jurassic Park. <laughs> wow. But no, nothing for Temple of Doom, huh? Nothing for Temple of Doom, unfortunately. It was not, a, it was not, he's the dark horse, that one. <laughs> Yeah. What do you uh, like a uh, least? Uh, Temple of Doom or the the fourth one? What was it called? Crystal Crystal Skulls? I don't really care for any of them. So. <laughs> ah, well, there you go. 
Take it down on Spielberg. You're really down on evil Spielberg, as you would say. As I would say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, 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 they're fine. I, but I, they were never anything that captured my imagination as a child. So. Interesting. I'm looking forward to the new one where uh, they make uh, Harrison Ford young, though. I love when they make someone young. <laughs> I love that's a trend. Nothing. No, no one's allowed to die. Not anymore, Jordan. Except for you. No one's going to care. Yeah, no one's going to care. No one's going to spend the money. De-aging me. <laughs> All right, Jordan. Finally, the Oscars category. How many Oscars do you think the team behind this has won? Well, I know this Spielberg's going to take a few. I would say, let's say six. You are so close. You're doing pretty well this 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 round. It is five. Five Oscars. Yeah. And were they all Spielberg? No, actually, one of them is for one of the directors who won a Best Short Film Oscar. Oh, interesting. A man named Jonathan Sanger. And then Spielberg, hmm. of course, has... Four Oscars, uh, two for Schindler's List, one for Saving Private Ryan, and then he has one from 1987, the uh, Irving G. Thalberg Memorial Award for creative producers who have just done a good job lately. <laughs> I don't even know that award. That must be a, a non-broadcast one. Yeah, I've seen it before on list when we've done Echo before. It's just like kind of this one catch-all for a producer who's just like had a bunch of hits recently. <laughs> They're like, you know what? I like that he was kind of involved in Gremlins. 87, that checks out, right? Probably coming off of that, coming off of an E.T. recently, coming off of a Poltergeist. Oh, yeah, Poltergeist. That's right. Something you just watched recently. That's right. So, you know, it makes sense. He, was, he had a string of hits, but none of them were real Oscar winners. So they're like, got to throw mm. him something, though. <laughs> Spielberg, take it again. Well, that was pretty, That you know what, a, a pretty good pedigree for the show. Yeah, I mean, well, Spielberg's really uh, jumping and jumping everything up. But every everyone, there's someone else in every one of those categories. So it's not just him. Yeah. And I'm going to um, uh, bury the lead a little bit here. But I think I like the direction that season three goes in. And I think it's a stronger show. Now, I don't think it's it's I think it's got some issues. But I do think if this had been what the show was from the beginning and they had started this way, I think this show would have had a longer life personally. Would have survived. I think it would have, well, I think it probably would have done more than two and a half seasons. <laughs> well, here's the IMDb summary for season three, episode one, Brave New World. Sequest and its crew return on Earth ten years after disappearing. The crew has no memory of what happened to them, but their skills and boat are still needed to stop a power-hungry president of a new alliance. Right. Question for you right off the bat. We'll go into um, this, uh, how they sort of resolve this sort of chaos of the end of the second season, which we'd watched before we get into it. How, how do you feel they did overall? Like as an answer to like this sort of puzzle, they clearly someone's like, you guys figure this out next year. I don't know. How, how do you feel like the writers did on this in terms of tying, tying their loose ends up? I mean, it's, it's a pretty hit and miss. I would say that in general, for the most part of the pilot, it's left as a mystery. It feels a little bit like a lost or something. Actually, there's like this element where they're just like, it's a real mystery. Not No one who came back from Sequest really even knows what happens themselves. And I liked that. I actually thought that was done really well. They eventually do get to the end, and we'll get to it later and kind of, like, give the tie-up. And, I mean, I think it, it's it's what it's what we what we figured w- would happen, or we worried would happen. It's just like, they're just like, ah, hand wave. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with you. I actually think it was pretty good until... What almost feels like at the very end of the episode, and obviously we'll go over it, is there's like this big speech, and it almost felt like they put it in afterwards, where it's just like the most clumsy, 
uh, way of just like, uh, he- here's why. Anyways, don't worry about it. Everything's different now. And it's like, okay, I don't know if you guys needed this, but I guess we needed a Roy Scheider speech. I mean, they had to resolve it somehow, and it was pretty impossible to resolve in addition to what they're going to do change-wise. Like, there's like three things they're juggling a complete change in timeline a complete change of the tone of the show and then you also have to somehow combine that with what happened the like complete like destruction of everything at the end of last season so one of those balls had to drop and i think rightly so they just are like we're just gonna have to like hand wave away whatever happened yeah well which is a good way of saying um as a recap what basically happened at the end of the second episode was really quickly sequest was beamed to another planet by aliens and in this sort of conflict they get stuck between this civil war um the aliens are kind of blown up or at least a big chunk of them um the the villainous aliens and then sequest is also blown up so seemingly pretty much everyone dies except for lucas who's lucas and uh, old cheesehead whatever his name is um they're sort of left on a boat so it's like how do we fix this? That's basically where we start from season three. Season three. It's not even where we start. I would say we we start ten years later, and uh, we get a little prelude to what's been happening in the world of twenty thirty two since Sequest vanished in twenty twenty two, which yeah, I'm pretty sure season one started in twenty eighteen. So the first two seasons of Sequest take place over four years. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. I, I thought the same thing because it was like so it's like uh, okay, I guess there's been a long time that we've we've had these adventures but sure it's it's 2032 now and i think as you mentioned at the beginning the show is now called sequest 2032 yes yes it's a full rebrand michael ironside narrates this sort of opening as his character captain oliver hudson mm-hmm. i like the name it's a good name i um, mean you know i'm not sure michael ironside is a good person um uh, but he's doing he's doing a good job here i guess i, I feel odd i i don't i'm not sure i'm not sure he's a man who needs praising but Okay, I'm going to say, and this is maybe embarrassing, I don't know what the negative thing about Michael Ironside is, so I just haven't been aware. So if if all of us don't like him anymore, I don't know why that is. Because uh, un- unrelated to that, because I'm just not aware of what's happening out in the world, I, I-, I like him in this in this show. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure if it's like pu- uh, public knowledge. I just know some people who've worked with him um, and have said some things that are not great. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So I don't know. I, I would say... It, what is interesting about this new character, and obviously you know right off the bat, he's going to be the new captain of Sequest at some point. They don't try to uh, create a new Nathan Bridger. They go in a different direction and have a different type of character. It's like maybe not as dramatic as like Kirk to Picard, but it's that sort of shift. Like we're just going to do a different type of personality and not try to mimic it, and you'll like this new character. And I think it was a smart decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean— We'll see it as we go through, but uh, one of the things I read was that uh, when Michael Ironside joined the show, one of his stipulations was he's not going to talk to the dolphin, and that holds true. <laughs> I saw that too, and I was like, you know what? That's pretty good. Oh, uh, can I mention one thing, though? Um, When we do see Sequest eventually, and I, I remember that we had uh, read at one point that the ship was going to get um, redesigned slightly to make it easier for filming. Did they change it that the dolphin is now in the bridge? That's always been the case. I thought he was in another room. He has another room, but he can. He's always been able to pop up on the bridge. Oh, I didn't realize that. I thought I was like, oh, that's a weird change. But anyways, then I I just missed that. He has popped up on the bridge before. <laughs> has he just to be like, dude? Uh, a few times in season one, I believe the final episode with the aliens, he pops up on the bridge at some point. <laughs> and what does he sound like again, Luke? Oh, I don't remember anymore. I barely see him on these episodes. <laughs> he is he is barely on the show. He just he comes up sometimes, like Lucas. 
I love you, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> well, it, what we kind of learn about 2032 is that uh, a few years ago, uh, 2026, an economic summit lifted the UEO ban on colonial deregulation, <laughs> which is a sentence that I don't know makes sense. I've tried to like parse it out in my head a few times, but the sense of it is, is essentially what's happened is there's been a gold rush to colonize the ocean floor. And without Sequest to help the UEO out, they've been sort of toothless to enforce any sort of decorum under the ocean. I had a, I had a point, though, about that, because they, they keep really reiterating. And I think it's a way to make you, as a viewer, realize how like impressive and great Sequest is, because it's like, Sequest is not around, so look what's happened as a domino effect. But I thought, they're... I know they're like the biggest, most powerful ship, but like they couldn't have built another one. And then also, don't they have like those prototype ones that went crazy with uh, Nathan's uh, fake brain? Can't they use one of those to to solve some problems? It is a good question. It is one of these things where it's just like they need to make Sequest the star. and There needs to be a reason Sequest is needed. But it does just like you're just sitting there being like, uh, surely Sequest alone would isn't the like tipping factor on these scales. (laughs) Yeah, because they they sort of I think they lean into it a little bit again. It's sort of like you just realize it's so important, and, and uh, b- b- look how much this is this means to the world. But yes, I'm like, okay, Sequest can't go around the world solving all the problems. And, and I will say too, I don't know how you felt about this. This episode is really heavy in trying to, um, whether it works or not, or whether it's a little bit clumsy, really try to illustrate this sort of political infighting and strife between different organizations and countries um more so obviously than they've done in the past and it's like it almost feels like an info dump at some parts where i was just like guys uh, is this actually important like i know some of it is but also a lot of it's just like techno babble yeah i mean it's hard it's it's a new pilot in some ways there's a lot of information across um and jordan they give an explanation for why they couldn't build another sequest what's that uh, apparently the bad guys hold the technology now, so they're they're not allowed to oh, build that's, it. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. They, they uh, that's right. <laughs> they did drop that line of it. You're like, uh, okay, sure. I know. I was like, uh, that's okay. I'm not sure if that checks out, but fine. Um, anyway, with the sort of like changing world pressures, the UEO has begged Captain Hudson not to retire when it came his time, but have offered him triple pay to try and keep the oceans under UEO control. <laughs> Yeah, and they mentioned this sort of thing a few times. Even later, he's like, this is what you pay me for. But it's like, it's just vague. What I, I don't really know what it is he does, but apparently he's paid very well because they mentioned it several times. I'm like, good for him. They didn't have Sequest, so they did the next best thing, and this guy is the next best thing to Sequest. <laughs> and they also have this, like, um, him and Nathan know each other, right? We're going to learn this later on. They Were they cadets together? Is that what they were saying? I'm not sure if they were cadets together. I think they just kind of know each other from the military. Okay. Um, But yes, in this new world, in 2032, there's a new big threat in the seas. It's the Alliance of Macronesia, formerly New Australia. Yeah, (laughs) I do like that. Um, And it's like, they're now rich and they're at war. I I remember my note was like, what is happening? This is a lot of backstory. Well, uh, they've been very ruthless, this new uh, alliance. And they've been trying to gain wealth and power and control. And they control currently a quarter of the ocean. And they're led by the president of Macronesia, Alexander Bourne, played by Michael York. Yeah, and I think I think he's great. I think he's a great... Um, I don't know if he's entirely used to his full uh, potential this episode. But I think as sort of a recurring like antagonist, uh, thorn on their side, I think he's, he's good. I just wish he would have done an Australian accent. I thought that's what was missing. <laughs> Yeah, fair. Well, I mean, who you don't know what the new accent is in Micronesia. 
I mean, I, that's what they're saying is that basically it's gone back to British. Yeah, <laughs> that's the what was the term they they had before, the the end of uh, neo-colonialism. What did they say? Sorry. What did they say at the beginning of this that you had to look up? I don't remember what you're talking about. Oh, it doesn't matter. We'll we'll keep going. The UEO and Macronesia are on the brink of war, basically. And the UEO has, like, basically put in some aggressive embargoes against Macronesia to try to, like, rein them in. Um, But it's just resulted in them needing to aggressively expand to overcome the trade embargoes. And that's kind of where we begin. It's like the world is teetering at the brink of war. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it's it's it could it could fall at any moment to Macronesia basically taking over the taking over the world in some ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, too bad Sequest isn't around. It's too bad. It's too bad. And uh, in this particular episode, the the crux of it is is they're trying to take over the colony of Nexus, they call it, and um, that's going to be the big the big stakes for the episode. It's like whether Macronesia will get the colony of Nexus. Um, uh, at the beginning of the episode, Captain Hudson intervenes and commits a very small act of war in an attempt to save the colony, um, and it, it sort of pushes the UEO to the brink of a full scale conflict. And it's interesting because the what we'll see, this is a big establishment of Captain Hudson's character, is he really wants to go to war. He's a real war hawk. He's hoping war will happen. Yeah, they're establishing, like, he's kind of, maybe not a tough guy, but he's very uh, uh, stubborn in what he wants, and he'll sort of do whatever he needs to do to achieve his goals. Yeah, he's the opposite of Bridger, and that Bridger was, pe- if Bridger was a peaceful captain, this captain, he doesn't mind getting his hands dirty. Yeah, and later on they'll have him like uh, doing push-ups to show you that he's a little tough. <laughs> and we cut to the UEO's version of the UN General Assembly, which was this big hall, and the floor is all pebbles for some reason. Is that what they said? Did you not see it? They cut to this like no. giant assembly, and it's this room like it looks like the UN General Assembly. There's like yeah. desks with people, but the floor is just like piles of pebbles, like you're at a beach, like a a, a rocky beach. I didn't realize that. Maybe it's like they they it's their beach getaway or something. No, oh, maybe. Maybe this is where the UN goes on vacation. <laughs> um, and this is this is the the scene where we get um, uh, it's your real like what is happening sort of thing just before uh, the credits, and they're giving these speeches, and and suddenly a very wet Lucas comes, and he seems disoriented. Yeah, yes, Lucas Waldenchuk. He returns. He's soaking wet, just on the head though. His body is dry. <laughs> <laughs> He's also, I could say, I think the actor has um, aged quite a bit, um, but we have to believe for the purpose of this episode that no one has aged at all. Because as you can see, it's much harder to see in adults. They're aging, but when you're like a teenager, you can see his little bit of a growth spurt. And I feel like I'm like, oh, he looks like he aged about two years in the seasons. Well, it's been 10 years, so still not enough. (laughs) Still not. Well, no, but none of them have changed. That's the thing. Yes, he stumbles in, he collapses. And my favorite part is like, Everyone at the place, all the all the kind of like uh, background noise of the episode is just like people being like, oh, Lucas Wallencheck, Lucas Wallencheck's here. And I was just like, how famous is he? Yeah, it is funny because then, then he like he get he like gets in and uh, and we kind of like go to the commercial. We come back and it's like him getting interrogated. And it's weird because I guess it would be a big thing that everyone would know Sequest went you know, there's this mysterious thing, this gigantic ship, obviously this very important ship, went, but do you think you would know all the people in in the ship? I don't think so. That's I mean, the I don't question. Think, right? I mean, they recognize him on site, so he's clearly, he clearly got that yeah. famous after Sequest disappeared. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, he's getting interrogated, and I like that he does the thing that people always do in, in these interrogations in TV, which is like, they sort of act crazy for no reason. Like, they're just like, 
way too explosive and stuff. Like, he starts, like, he gets, he has to get, like, ex- restrained and stuff. He's like, you need to find Bridger! Ah! I'm like, why is he screaming about this? Just have a conversation with him. Dry your hair off and just talk. I guess so. I felt it was pretty fair in that he was arrested without cause and held in detainment in a secret facility. I was like, this seems a little extreme, don't you think? But this is what happens when Sequest is not around, Luke. <laughs> yes. He apparently has lost all of his memories. He doesn't even know what has happened, how he's got there, why his head is so wet. And he kind of <laughs> get a little more exposition about why the what happened in the last 10 years since uh, Sequest disappeared. The, the biggest one, of course, is that he is, he is in San Diego being held. And San Diego is now an island because much right. of the Earth's land mass has become water and uh, there's basically more ocean on earth than ever before and i like you i'm sure thought it was due to global warming i thought it was too but it wasn't it's it's um what's michael york's character uh born president born he's been he's been manipulating uh the shape of planets uh, the shape of the planets the shape of the of the countries correct well, he has a he has a new weapon, Jordan, a subduction laser or a particle right. liquefaction liqu- liquefaction laser, uh, and it turns uh, they say landmass into soup. So he's been melting the continents to make more ocean. That's right. Yeah, uh, particle liquefaction turns land into water. That's right. <laughs> So basically, they've got Lucas in in uh, custody. He doesn't know what happened to him. He doesn't know what happened to Sequest. It's kind of like all we're getting out of these scenes is kind of what happened to the Earth. And we we, we skimmed over it, Jordan, but I'd like to go back to it really quick. Uh, there's a new opening credit sequence that happens at the beginning here because obviously they've changed the title from Sequest DSV to 2032. Mm-hmm. I was pretty disappointed that they ran this at the start of the episode because it really gave away who was going to be returning from the planet. Because you get to see like the credits for it, and I was just like, "Oh, I don't want to know. I want to be surprised." Um, I th- I thought the exact same thing, but there was still a surprise. It turns out. What was that? You don't know. Well, I don't know what 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 you're speaking about. I don't know if I was surprised. Well, it shows obviously the cast of this season, so I was like, "All right, well now I know exactly who's coming back this season. I know who's not going to be around from the previous season." But Lieutenant James Brody returns, but is not in the opening credits. And I was just like, what is going on here? <laughs> That's right. And they and they mention in the next episode that he died. And they just like mention it. They're like, not everyone is here. And they're like, oh, yeah, Brody died. And you're like, oh, oh, I forgot. There's so many characters. I didn't notice he wasn't there. Well, here's the thing, though. He's in more than half the season. Oh, really? So he was a main credit star in season two. And then in season three, he still comes back and does half the season. Clearly, the intention is at some point to kill him. But he gets no credit at all for, like, most... I was just like, what a great guy to come back, be demoted, be demoted out of the main credits for more than half of the season. His name's never mentioned. It's like, I'm sure it's, like, guest star in the opening. I'm just like... And he just, he comes back and he just chugs along. He plays his character for another half a season. He should really talk to his agent about that downgrade. It was such a downgrade. I was like, it's a little unfair that you would come back after being a main character to be like, I'm a guest star until they kill me. And I say this, regardless of him and his performance and anything, the character is not missing, though, at all. And I do think when I was, you know, talking about course correction, it really does feel more th- more so, I think, than the second season, where they're sort of like, what if we do this? What if we do that? I felt a little bit like they're kind of throwing everything at the wall and seeing what the show might be or what kind of works. This does feel like they're like, okay, we know what the show is going to be, and we're just going to get rid of people. It is a tiny bit smaller cast. It's now a nine-person cast as opposed to ten. And... Again, there's a few people changed, but I do think they're just like, 
how focused can we get this thing? I think he was just like, well, there's no reason for him. All again, obviously, I wish Tony was gone, but e- even he's sparingly used. Well, I mean, I would say this. Uh, all the characters in this sort of revised pilot, you know, we, we had a pretty robust cast. There's this Lieutenant James Brady, mm-hmm. who obviously is not going to stick around. But he gets more of a character in this episode than any of the things we saw before. Like, he feels like a real character. It, like, he feels like a part of the crew that you know what he does. Uh, Lonnie Henderson, who was also in the background for episodes of season two, she's here. She's getting more of a crew. Everyone mm-hmm. feels like suddenly they have characters and they have a place on the ship, which I didn't feel like before. So that's why I was kind of surprised as this episode goes on and he doesn't die. He's just like a part of the crew. It's like, oh, now I'm sad to know he's not going to because he feels like a, he fits in here. I would agree with you on that. It does feel like there's even the slightest, maybe not uh, intention, but maybe just uh, a little bit more deft hand of like, having characters show up and like at least have a few lines of dialogue so the world feels lived in whereas before it was i think they were so desperate to have pretty much brody and lucas taking all the dialogue that the other characters were just like just there bridger bridger what did i call him brody brody i meant bridger sorry but we're speaking about Lieutenant Bridger now because he returns to Earth as well. His head's all wet and he wakes up in a casino strip club in Bangkok. Uh, but he's not alone. He's there with Lieutenant Junior Grade Tim O'Neill and Tony Piccolo. They've all woken up in this strip club, their hair soaking wet and confused as how they got there. Okay, and now here's something that I was a little confused at. So they don't say it, but how long do you think they were interacting with people and living and doing things but not knowing they were doing it because they sort of imply that Tony at one point is gambling and he's like had been winning and stuff and he's like what I'm here so like how long was he playing as like a zombie that's a good question that's the one that really throws us off because everyone else is waking up like even the other characters they're on they're at a bar but they're waking up soaking wet the implication being that they've just appeared there somehow and they're waking up Tony, however, wakes up in the mid-action, implying that he's been doing something. I don't know. I think the intention was they're just waking up having just arrived. I think that's what they want. But they do this other weird thing with him, with Tony. So it just leaves a question. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. And I did think most of this was pretty good. And I actually quite liked um, um, what's-his-faces, Ford and Henderson. Because those are the two that they're going to do like a... Ooh, they have a relationship and they sort of wake up in a room together basically like he wakes up the shower week she wakes up the bed they're like what just happened and i was like well that's a pretty good beginning to like a will they won't they sort of thing yeah yeah they wake up they're also soaking wet uh they're not sure how they got there the implication here again is that like it's not that they were doing something when they arrived because like they're in a position that looks like they may have been doing something, but they're fully dressed in their sequest clothes as if they had exactly. just arrived. So I, it is an odd thing. I think we're supposed to think they've just arrived, but they've been like inputted to the world as if they're in the middle of an action, I guess. It, yeah, I think they're supposed to have just arrived. It's just an odd, it's an odd way of doing it. I mean, it's good. It mm-hmm. like adds an air of mystery. It makes you wonder what's going on. But those two appear at a, at a, um, at a motel. What's very funny to me is at the end of season two, I don't know if you caught this, but as they're dying on the spaceship, Lonnie seems to be like having a moment with Lieutenant James Brady. Like there's a bit of a romance seems to be like blooming between the two of them. And clearly now they're, they're hard re, re, uh, retooling it. And now it's like Lonnie Henderson is into Ford now. That's what's happening. Yeah. They're like, we're killing Brody. So she's into him. Yeah. And then, of course, we cut away to the only other two returning characters waking up in a 
after hours aquarium is both Darwin in a tank and Dagwood who's just walking through the aquarium so that at least they can like bump into each other. <laughs> yeah, and he could be like, I know that dolphin. And he's like, I still, I don't quite get what his character adds. I know what they're going for, but I just don't know. It It, it seemed like a weird thing to continue for this season personally. They're just the most uh, compelling characters from season two. There's, they're, that's why they're sticking around. <laughs> hmm, I guess. Not to you, but to everyone else. They're like, they're the breakout stars. See, I don't know if they are. I feel like there was something like someone was like, this is so great, but I don't know if any fans would have really felt that same way. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people like really found them engaging and, and uh, I don't know, saw themselves through them. But it just feels like, I don't know. I just don't feel like wh- whose favorite character would be Dagwood? No one. Well, I'll tell you this, Jordan. When we were doing this, I told you, I remember the pilot having one character, and it was a man with gills, and that was Tony yeah. Piccolo who didn't come around to season two. So clearly the only memory I had of this was Tony mm. Piccolo. It was the, my only memory of Sequest. Well, there you go. That's something. So clearly, clearly they uh, stand out in your mind. You'll never forget them. Well, I probably won't. I won't forget Tony because I hate him. <laughs> What's kind of odd here, too, is that um, when uh, Lonnie and uh, Lonnie Henderson and Commander Ford, Jonathan Ford, wake up at this hotel... They're also immediately, like, arrested by the military police to, like, kick down the door and arrest them right away, with, mm-hmm. which, like, just raises the question, like, how, how of all did they know they were here? What, what is happening exactly? But it's just to move the, pro- the plot forward, yeah. essentially. Yeah, and, and it was, was weird because I wasn't quite sure what I was supposed to be getting out of that as a viewer other than, like, like the stakes are high, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think it's just an attempt to keep the plot moving because then you need them all to figure out how to contact the UEO. And you like in this way, they're just like, ah, the UEO has them all. It, it, it collected them all. Maybe it was looking for them after Lucas appeared. That's, I think, maybe the implication. I want to I want to take a quick mm-hmm. pause here, though, Jordan. Is that OK? Of course. Now, we're going to jump ahead a little bit. We're not let's not discuss the entire explanation for how they got back yet. But right at the end, they do mention one thing about their return to Earth. And that was that um, the aliens returned them to their last peaceful thought on earth that's the implication here so i just want to go back and like let's unpack the idea of the last peaceful thought they had is how they ended up back on earth so what that would imply is that before ford and henderson died in two different locations because he was on sequest she was on his alien Mm. spaceship when they died the last thing that went through their mind that was a peaceful thought was the idea of the two of them hooking up at a hotel they both independently had this thought apparently (laughs) Well, maybe, maybe they were having a secret affair. They were both, and they were both falling in love with one another. And that's the thing before this uh, devastation happened, this travesty. They both were like, oh, I wish I was with this person. And we had our, like, alone time or something. I, I buy it. She was holding for uh, Lieutenant James Brody's hand, kind of giving the eyes of being like, I wish this were Ford. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but this is the best I, actually, I can do. Well, this you said the best that, I can do. I, I actually forgot she was with that other guy. Again, I think they're retconning that. You have to pretend it wasn't uh, it wasn't Brody. Um, and, of course, that also means that Brody, O'Neill, and Piccolo, their last peaceful thought was that time they went on shore leave to the casino strip club. <laughs> the three of them were just like, that ruled. <laughs> yeah, I, I know this is a thing later where, where uh, Bridger tells us this. I kind of thought it was just supposed to be like, when he's like, it's our last peaceful memory. I thought it was just like... I don't know. I thought it was more like uh, an ambiguous sort of nebulous thing where he's just like what your life was like before kind of like aliens and stuff. So it could just be any vague thing. It didn't specifically mean your actual last thought, but maybe that's just me leading it to something to kind of smooth over the awkwardness of it. I mean, they made such a 
particular point of saying it's like why you ended up where you ended up was because it was your last peaceful thought and i just was like what is that because like that means we don't know where lucas woke up but i'm just gonna assume it's the lobby of the un that was his last peaceful thought was waking (laughs) up the lobby of the un um yeah i do like that that means that dagwood's last peaceful thought was what if i'd been a janitor in an aquarium instead of sequest a slightly better job because he wakes up and what we see is he gets up and there's a janitor doing his job after hours dagwood's like Gives a nod to a fellow <laughs> professional. I'm like, okay. And then the, also the indication is that Darwin's last peaceful thought is, boy, I wish I was living in captivity. <laughs> I think he just actually wants to be able to swim around freely instead of on that ship. Yeah, but he woke up in captivity in an aquarium. <laughs> That's true. I don't know. I, I, I don't think it entirely works. Again, it's a weird thing that they added this big speech at the end to sort of tie loose ends that I think at least me and I think I'm assuming most viewers were kind of fine with just leaving vague. So it's just like, oh, it's a, a weird series of events and we've kind of gone back to zero. So we're all okay. And they're just like, oh, wait, before you guys leave, just wanted to say, you remember memories? It's like, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> well, that's why they ended up with Jordan. We figured it out. We know why they're where they woke up, where they are. Yeah, I know. It's just like, it could have just been like, I don't know. They just sent them back and they just put them where they thought they belonged. I don't know. <laughs> an aquarium an aquarium well they're like he's a dolphin put him back where he belongs <laughs> <laughs> anyway let's keep things moving forward um, because Sequest has also been found it's sitting in a farmer's field in Iowa it's just appeared there this guy's just like tilling his grain or whatever and he looks up he's like ah oh, there's a Sequest in my field <laughs> what I like though is how fast this goes and I have to say this this part like the episode kind of starts like really it gets its motor going where they're just like Sequest showed up in a field. They're like, everyone from Sequest is uh is ready for duty. I'm like, whoa, what was that? Like, it's such a bizarre idea that take all these people that have been missing for 10 years. I'm not saying they have to be interrogated forever or something, but they're like back in uniform. They're back ready. They're like, they drive them out to Sequest for some reason. And they're just like, well, I better get this thing going. And, and like Hudson's like, get it going in two hours, which I, I love, by the way, when, when there's always a thing where there's this conversation to him and Ford and he's like, you'll have to find out how active, you know, how, what the function is of Sequest. And he's like, it's going to take like weeks to get it figured. He's like, you got two hours. And he's like, no one could do it in two hours. They cut to them and they're like, it's up and running. I'm like, so was he lying about how long it takes or it just was their can-do attitude really helped them uh, take off weeks of the of the work? Well, they have a line where he's just like, well, we got on and it's in perfect function, except all the memories also erased from Sequest. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But But I do like though that like, they're just like, it's just so fast moving. They're like, everyone's back from Sequest. You guys should be back on the ship. I'm like, is that what you would do? Yeah, they just pick up all the missing crew, drop them off in the field. They're <laughs> like, how are we going to do it? And Hudson's like, don't worry. I have six really large helicopters. And they just pick up Sequest and move it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's it. And and at this point, like I, I, put, I put the note, I was like, man, the new direction of this show is clear. Like it's like the direction of the show is it's – dare I say a little more grounded it's about like kind of political strife and dealing with those uh, nuances between these these different politic uh, political factions well Lucas however he's not been invited back to sequest he's still being held a pr- as a prisoner by the UEO <laughs> but that's he's right able to escape his confinement and steal a sub relatively easily for a man being held in captivity <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's like he has his, like, action scenery breaks out and beats people up and jumps in a ship and gets away. And I'm like, okay. And he heads to Bridger's Island in the Yucatan Peninsula, hoping to find what happened to Nathan Bridger. 
And, and he sure does, um, because he arrives at Bridger's old house. It's a little rundown, but what he finds inside is first, like, a, a five- or six-year-old boys walking around. And then Nathan Bridger steps up and puts his arm around him and is just like, Hey there, Lucas. Meet my grandson. This was such an odd thing to do, because, look, as we as we know, and, and I don't know if we've mentioned it before, but uh, Roy Scheider, Nathan Bridger in this show, he's not going to be on the show very much i think he had asked to leave the show didn't want anymore i think part of his contract was there like you have to be in at least three episodes and so he's like sure i'll do three episodes weirdly we're gonna watch two of those three of him so like we got to get him out of the show but the way they do it seems so weird as opposed to being like i don't know i'm old and retired or i don't know kill him in some glorious way or something it's just like hey Remember my whole purpose before was that my son died and it really changed me as a person and I became a different type of captain and stuff. They're like, hey, he might be alive still. I'm going to find him. I was like, what? <laughs> well, it's just it's, that's the intro to this. He, he steps out. Bridger's got a cane now. He's he's older than ever. And now he's got a small <laughs> boy with him. And the first thing I thought was, hey, that's Jordan soon. <laughs> okay, now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, uh, <laughs> that's too clear. That's too uh, close to, uh, to reality. But, um, I, I, he, he shaved his beard. He hit his head somehow, but yes, they're just like, it's my grandson. And that means that my son and wife are alive. And that means my son, Robert isn't dead. So my new quest will be finding him. And, and I just thought, what a weird, weird way of doing it. But like, okay, I guess. I guess it's a way to, like, have him gone, but still, you can still bring him back if needed. I didn't think it was as weird as the fact that he already has a nanny with him. <laughs> that was true. That is true. I like, though, that, like, he's like, I've got to stay with the kid. And then almost immediately, he's like, anyways, kid, i got to go back to Sequest. <laughs> they never mention her or, like, even say her. I mean, maybe say her name once. But, like, the entire time in the background, there's just this nanny milling about yeah. this broken down house. And I'm just like, where did this nanny come from? <laughs> Well, I guess they just have to have, like, they, someone was like, well, he can't just leave. You have to have someone there taking care of the kid. I mean, he, Nathan Bridger could drop dead at any second. You can't, there's no, you can't trust it. And it, it is weird. Why did they decide to add the cane? They, they, they thought the character's not decrepit enough. He's not old enough. Yeah, I, there's some indication that he was injured and he's the only one who came back injured from the planet, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense. It, I think it is just like they're trying to overlay reasons why he can't come back to run Sequest. Right. Let's, let's cover a little bit, Jordan. You, you've sort of like glossed over a little bit of his return, but he came back and his last peaceful thought was waking <laughs> up in the embassy in Brussels. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So that's where he came to. And, you know, he wakes up, he's in the embassy in Brussels, and I guess the the ambassador, the U.S. ambassador, takes him in. He's like, hey, Bridger, good to see you. Have I got news for you? Your son's alive. He didn't die like you thought. We're, we're retconning that. He's, mm-hmm. he's alive. At some point, he got married, so he has a wife. But years ago, before you appeared here, I guess, let's say five years, his, son's five, his grandson's five years old. Five years ago, your son dropped by the Brussels embassy and left an infant here, which he abandoned, who we've been raising as an orphan at the embassy in Brussels. So it's so good you woke up here because now you can take this kid off our hands. I mean, that all makes sense. It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. And so that's it. He's got this kid because his son abandoned it in Brussels five years ago before Nathan showed up there. And I'm just like, there's so much information being dropped here that I can't quite make out what's happening. Well, again, it it just, at least to me, it seemed like 
for, for whatever reason, like almost like there was a note from the network or something. Like it was just like, well, we have to explain all this. And it's like, do you? Do you need to explain, explain all this? Well, how did he get the kid? Uh, well, he found it at an orphanage. But how would he know? It's like, well, the orphanage is also the embassy yeah. in Brussels where he woke up. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, should we put all this in the script? They're like, yes, absolutely. Don't worry. People will keep watching. I kind of want to just watch. I'm very curious about the, like, five years where the ambassador in uh, Brussels just had an orphan in his office. (laughs) (laughs) The kid kid doesn't get a lot of screen time anyway. He's just, like, he's just a little kid. Yeah, yeah. He's just there. It's Nathan's new – it gets him off the ship. Nathan has a new mission, raise his grandson and uh, find his missing – his missing faked dead son – and apparently the wife his son has. He's very obsessed with finding his son's wife as well. I'm like, well, you missed the wedding, so what do you care? <laughs> yeah, anyways, that's his new motivation, which is just, I don't know, it's weird. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, back at the Sequest, they've been routed to the Nexus colony where, you know, we know the Alliance is trying to take control. They're moving in. But with Seacast back in the water to defend it, uh, things aren't looking so good for old Macronesia. And uh, they're, they're, you know, we think the ship's all back together. The team's come together. We're almost ready to go. But Hudson's like, before we head off, I've got one new character I'd like to add to this cast. Yeah, and so they bring this character. Her her name is... um... Lieutenant J.J. Fredericks. And I don't know. So she comes on and she's sort of like a hotshot pilot kind of character, I guess. I don't know. You don't really get too much time with her. That's what I sort of think they've implied. But she has like, um, what would you call it? Like a computer chip behind her ear? Yeah, yeah. they refer to it as a psych implant. That's right. And, 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 and what is it exactly? Well, Lieutenant James Brody sees it. He knows what it is. This is already exists. This yeah. is an existing technology. And what he says is that it means she's under some sort of psychiatric care. Perhaps she has some sort of uh, issues That's that right. need, need taken care of, and the psych chip helps helps with that. And he's a little concerned to have someone under psychiatric care in in the position of, uh, of flying some of these mini-subs into combat. But uh, we never come back to that. I think there's a future episode that deals with that. Yeah. I mean, there's there's something there's an interesting idea of the military using some sort of technology to like regulate troops emotions and things. I think there's something there. It's just it's dealt with in such a quick way that I thought it was odd. And and you're probably right is that it's going to be dealt with in greater detail in a future episode. But it was funny to me that they spent way more way more time with Nathan explaining how he's going to go look for his uh his his son that's missing than they do on this like technology that they just dropped on us. I was like, well, sorry, what was that? Yeah, yeah. It's just like she has this chip. Don't worry, we'll come back to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway, Sequest has has the whole crew together. They're ready to go into battle with the Alliance over uh over over the colony. They're sending subs out. They're preparing their blockade. And uh, just as Macronesia is pulling up, Bridger and Lucas show up on a sub, and somehow Sequest has to deviate enough to get them onto the ship that. Like macro in the five seconds it takes him to let uh, Lucas and Bridger onto Sequest, Macronesia's taken over. I just couldn't, I couldn't follow exactly, but like the distraction is enough. Yeah, it's because what? Yeah, they're they're trying to do a thing real quickly, which is like they have to make a decision: are they going to save this place or are they going to bring Bridger and Lucas on board? I personally would have said, I think you should save the greater good of all these people, and then I don't know, pick those two up five minutes from now. Because they're under no distress at all. They're in a little ship. But yes, they like course correct the most minor thing ever. They get on and they're like, oh, shouldn't have done that. Colony's gone. Big mistake. 
Well, I mean, they have to because Bridger's technically the captain of Sequest, and he he's That's in right. charge, so he takes command from Hudson immediately. And uh, this is where they kind of get into like a little bit of like some more some more you know uh, world building about why they didn't build more Sequest, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, what I did like though is by the end of the conversation, Hudson blames Bridger for why the whole world's in trouble right now, and he says the reason is because Bridger wasted Sequest and all that science stuff. <laughs> That's right. Which, if you can't tell where the tone's going, this really drives it home. It's like, science is dumb and it's your fault. Yeah. I I mean, I don't know if that's entirely fair. I think this episode is a little bit heavier handed than I think they would even like. I think they're, they're, it's trying to do the building blocks and it's, it, doesn't always work because I'm going to say I do actually quite like the next episode. Um, but yes, I think there's a, there's a couple of things where you're just like, is this just going to be like a like Yoho military show? But I don't think that is what they are. It going does have for. the trailer line for the episode. And if there was a trailer that could have could have showed on t- public television or, uh, you know, television, uh, it would have been this one. Uh, I, Captain Hudson says, quote, this past decade's been a bitch on humanity. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> that is what do you mean line. by that exactly? No, that's a good line. Doesn't matter. It's good. Anyway, we're well, moving on. Uh, the president of Macronesia, Bourne, he basically has taken over the colony. He tells Sequest if they if they leave, he'll release all of the colonists, and so they just need to leave and forfeit forfeit this colony to him, and he'll let all the colonists go free. Um, but Bridger, as per usual, this is very in his character. He gets a little piece of information, and he has a bright idea on how to save the day. And uh, that particular piece mm-hmm. of bright information is uh, bright information. That's, that's not quite right, but it doesn't matter. Um, he notices that the colony seems to have the dolphin swim tubes that are on Sequest. Uh, I believe they're referred to here as the hydro pressure system. And it turns out that's those right. sim- those swim tubes have become standard design issue for most sea colonies. Um, and that apparently Bridger holds the patent to them because he designed them and is obscenely wealthy now yeah that was weird well i don't know if it's is like is it that's supposed to be that he has woken up he's or whatever he's reappeared and they're like by the way you've been making all this money all that time i was like i don't know if it would work that way but yes they sort of it more than imply is that he has made a fortune on this hyper pressure thing and i'm guess again it's like so like i don't know that's useful for his character if when he comes back but the basic idea is that they now have an idea of how they can uh, infiltrate and sort of attack this this place. Commander Ford and Tony Piccolo go for a swim. They they break in through the tubes. They punch some guys, and then they get the drop on President Bourne. And their solution is to hold him at gunpoint uh, and tell him to make everybody leave. But before, but but right before when they hear they're getting um, attacked, is maybe my favorite thing in this episode, which is. The president uh, making it with his hot. I wife. mean, this president—he's <laughs> horny. That's one thing we know for sure. I love it. There's just a scene of them making it out of the couch, and I was just like, well, "This is something different." And then later, yes, he gets—they he, just like bake him, evacuate everyone. He's like, "Oh, you do-gooders!" And I'm like, "Oh, well done. I guess they were right. They did these." It is, it is a particularly simple solution. I was impressed by how quickly this resolved. It's like they hold him at gunpoint. They're like, "Get on the radio and tell everyone to leave." He's like, "Okay, I will, but I don't like it." And then they let him go because that was the deal they made. And I'm like, all right, uh, I guess you saved the Nexus colony. <laughs> yeah, it's it's purely because that's not what this episode is. They wanted some sort of like light, uh, like B plot to to be able to carry the introduction of the new characters and the new tone. And uh, again, 
clean the slate from the second season. That was the real point of it. And they're like, oh, and by the way, they're going to save the day. It's just what it's like handed, like uh, handled in such a um, uh, kind of forgettable. No, no, I'm making fun of it. I mean, the the mechanical reasons all make sense. They're just they're just trying to get through it as quickly as they can to get all the pieces. Yeah. So we can get to the final speech where Bridger gathers the entire crew together and explains the mystery of how they return 10 years later without aging and with no memories. Yeah. And apparently, after the destruction of the Sequest on the other planet, they all fell into meditative comas, Jordan. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is. I'm telling you, you could just see the writers in the red room, they're like, I don't know, meditative comas? After a while, while like, th- this is the best. Well, Bridger's like, most of us did. A-, a few of us died, like that psychic Dr. Smith and uh, <laughs> Censor Chief Ortiz. He's also dead. He also died on that planet. Uh, don't ask any more questions about them. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, hey, guys, remember those characters that we didn't utilize very well, so thus didn't become fan favorites? They're dead. Yeah, they didn't end up in meditative comas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they ended up in real comas and then died. And then Tobias LeConte, he put them all in res- in rescue pods and sent them back to Earth. And I'm like, okay, great, great, great. I like it so far. And then, and he's like, what, do you have any questions about the 10, year, the 10 years elapsing or why you have no memories? We're not going to answer those questions. Uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, why are we all wet? You went through the water. Why did we end up in these random places? I don't know, man. I didn't ask a lot of questions. I was in a meditative coma. Yeah. And then he's just like, um, he's like, anyways, it's been good. So I've got to leave. Go find my son. I, I quit. Um, seems like you guys are good hands with this new captain, Hudson. He takes off. Um, it, again, it feels like something that was like tagged on. After. It's really good because he, he walks away and, and, uh, and he's just like, will we see you again? And he's like. You might just see me again uh, because I have a few uh, contractually obligated episodes. But yeah, you might see me again. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's right. So he leaves and then we get a little like uh, addendum to the episode, which is I I like there's something that I don't know if anyone cared that much. But it's like, you know, the viewers at the edge of their seat being like, but guys, Lucas is not a full member of this crew. I don't know if it was that. You skipped over a part I really liked at the end of this stuff with Bridger, which I thought was really interesting uh, in a very dark way. But, you know, he's saying goodbye to everyone. He's leaving. But what we've seen in the last two seasons is the core of the story was like a father-son relationship between Lucas and Bridger. Yeah. And as Bridger's walking off, Lucas is really sad about like, like you know, I think the actor's doing a good job. He's very sad to see his father figure leaving. And like Bridger basically tells him, he's just like, I have my biological son back, so I'm out of here. I don't care. Like, Bridger treats him so coldly as he leaves. He's just like, I've got a real son to find. See you later, Lucas. I, I don't know. I don't know if I read it that way. I mean, that is the implication. But I think it was just more like, this is his. This is what his character's arc is now. He's got to go. And so... It was a pretty cold send-off, I thought, for poor Lucas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think Lucas is fine. But you're right. There's a, there's a tag online... And I mean, this is more toward the tone of the show. I think. I think this is a part of the tone of the show. Is what you're saying, like yeah. what you're saying, is like Hudson calls Lucas in and tells Lucas, just like, "There's no civilians on my ship anymore. This is a military ship. We do military stuff on this show now. There's no room for a civilian." And this is what you were going to say: is uh, uh, Lucas um, uh, enlists essentially? Yeah, and and it's and I think it's a little bit uh, to your point is that they're like, okay, instead of having this show where there's like a kid character that's sort of like clearly on the show for kids to relate to. Like he's an adult now. He's part of the crew. It makes sense why he's on the crew. He's actually a member of, of, of the team. So you're like, great. And then, and then they're like, 
This is this is what the show is, everyone. This is my one of my favorite scenes of the episode too, because he comes into and he comes in. He says, "You got to leave unless you enlist." And Lucas is just like, "All right, well, you if you don't want your chief computer analyst, I guess I'll enlist." He's like, "I'll be a lieutenant," and uh, you know, it, Hudson's like, "That's not really how it works. You have to be an ensign to start off." And Lucas says, "But that's Darwin's rank. Darwin is an ensign." <laughs> and then Hudson says, "Oh, by the way, I've demoted Darwin." From ensign to barely sentient animal, I don't want around. <laughs> I was like, you demoted Darwin, who was previously an ensign, to just pet, ship pet. The worst part of it is when they um, they had originally branded him, like seared it in his ensign ranking, and they had to go back with that branding and just sear him again with a different one. So funny. It's such a funny that ending scene? to be like, yeah, the, Darwin was an ensign, but not anymore. Not on this new show. Now he's just like disgusting sea trash well it, it again it, it is because i think they're trying to go this is a little bit more serious show so yes we have a dolphin because we've spent all this money on this dolphin and we need to amateurize the uh the money of him but uh but yes he don't worry he's not a, he's not a member of the crew he's just a fish not anymore <laughs> he's out of here we hate him now <laughs> but there we are that's that's the sort of like as i said course correcting of the show oh not quite no there's more well didn't you what, what did you learn during the credits Oh no! Oh, honestly, Luke, I, I I hate this segment. I hate the little end segment. What, what? I don't even pay attention. I start I start to close my computer at this point. What, what do they? Uh, what do they teach us? Jordan, there is no more educational segment at the end of the show. Oh, good, because I didn't even notice because I <laughs> I I never paid attention to them anyways because they were so stupid. <laughs> good news for you. Let's move on to the next episode. Here's the IMDb summary for season three, episode seven, Equilibrium. I'm sorry, Nathan. I'm going with Ensign Wallenchak's recommendation. Sequest is going to have to go through my ships to do it. Be reasonable, Nathan. We're all on the same side. Not this time. Captain Hudson. Sir. You have your orders. Yes, sir. Sequest goes up against Bridger over an ecological problem that Sequest created 12 years ago. Bridger believes the problem will solve itself, but Lucas has a different opinion. When watching this episode, and I don't know if you felt the same way, obviously we haven't talked about it before now, I was watching this and I thought, this is Sequest. This is what I think, whether they knew it or not, this is what I think the show could be in that somewhat Star Trek sort of moral character driven kind of kind of drama um and i i think i think this episode does it really well now i don't know if they'll do that as well in future episodes of this season but this episode i was like this is it i get it i could have seen this show being successful if they were all like this well, it's a nice episode. episode um too because after getting told so much in the pilots like this is just going to be a war show it is it is a science episode they do a little mystery science mystery they solve yeah. so you, you can see they're they're they, they, they have balanced that tone i think pretty well because as it opens we see the ocean is full of so many dead killer whales so many dead killer whales yeah yeah well it actually it's, it's a very i think effective scene because yeah you start on this thing it's like there's like dozens of dead uh, orca's just kind of floating and sequest comes in and basically what you learn real quickly is that um they think there's this synthetic microbe um that had um gone into the water at one point that had been um put in the water as i think we're going to learn later it was to clean up a toxic a dioxin spill, spill, a toxic Jordan, spill. A dioxin spill. <laughs> that's right 
So basically, they had gone. They tried to fix this thing. They put this um, who's the uh, synthetic microbe into the water. A Sequest had um, because in, in an earlier inc- uh, uh, incarnation, this is what Sequest would have done. Um, and what they have found now, it seems to have mutated. And this thing has mutated to the point where it's actually killing um, the sea life. So this solution they had had 12 years later has now become a bigger problem. And I thought, what an interesting um, jumping off point for an episode. Yeah, good start, good start. And Sequest is back to deal with the problem. But when they get there, they're stopped by a blockade of submarines led by ex-captain Nathan mm-hmm. Bridger. Uh, we've jumped from Bridger episode yeah. to Bridger episode. <laughs> yeah, so this is one of the three episodes I think he did in this season. And... Um, Again, I had, to, I had to say, I know he doesn't want to be in the show. I think his character is handled very effectively. And I think he makes a very good adversary because you as a viewer know him. And I think you're pulled in like, do you support him? Do you support Sequest? Um, I, I think it's done very well. And I also think it's not out of his character. No, I think, it, I think it's in line. And you know what? It feels like Roy Scheider is like uh, less annoyed to be here. He's just like dropping in. He's like, oh, this is fine now. <laughs> I would agree, yeah. But Bridges returned. He gets to return to Sequest. It's been six episodes. For us, we're obviously skipping through the season to the best episodes. It's basically been mm-hmm. six episodes between the start of season three and this. So he, it's been that much time since he's been back on Earth with the rest of them, and they've kind of, like, fallen into their new roles. And he gets to come back to Sequest for the first time in six episodes. Now, as, this, as you said, as an opponent. But he comes over. They're still cordial to him. They have a conversation about it. And it's very funny because he returns... And the implication is it's been months, and he has not once checked in on Sequest, the rest of the crew, or Lucas ever. He doesn't know Lucas enlisted in the army. He's pissed off about it. He, like, browbeats Lucas for joining the Navy. Yeah, I wasn't—that was the one thing I wasn't sure why he was so irritated. It's like, but you joined that the military. Why would you be irritated that Lucas did? You also had him on your military ship for, like— apparently four years well, he didn't like it the navy at, at the beginning because his son had died but now his son's back alive so maybe that's i don't know how that's shifted his opinion but i just like that this whole episode is just like your estranged dad comes back and he's a jerk to you and that's the whole like I, i'm telling yeah. you when he left that ship he turned on lucas because he has his real son back and you just see it all episodes he is such a jerk to a kid who looks up to him like a father but i have to say um i think there was um this episode did something that was very well because what you're going to set up very quickly is there's two opposing views of how to fix this problem. They both admit that they created the problem as, as Sequest tried to fix one thing and created a larger problem years later. The two views that you get are Nathan says you should just leave it because it's sort of going to sort itself out because of blah, blah, blah. That's his basic point. And Lucas, being the little science whiz, says, no, we have to do something else. We're going to put like a new mutation or whatever in the water. We're going to put like a uh, some sort of some sort of other bacteria or some sort of something other chemical that's going to kill this and thus uh, save the life. And they basically have this these these opposing views, and that's going to sort of be escalated as time has gone on in various ways. And I thought this this is an interesting way. Yeah, to Yeah, that's this up. that's the crux of it. Is um, I can give a little more detailed explanation for you, uh, Bridger believes the microbe, which he feels responsible for releasing initially the synthetic microbe, will actually burn itself out. His studies show it's the infection it's currently creating is going to burn itself out shortly, and that'll be the end of it. We just have to let it run its course, like a fever. It's going to burn itself out. However, Lucas's concern is just like, what if it doesn't? What if your studies are off? I can make a uh, enzyme that I can release 
that will like basically neutralize it right now and we can end it right now. And that, that's the that's the argument they kind of have. And the UEO hears both sides of the case and they're just like, you know what? Bridger, yours sounds like more of a risk. Uh, Lucas's sounds like an easy solution. We're going to go Lucas's way. And Bridger's quite upset that he's not being listened to. So he sort of storms off the bridge. Yeah. And, and there is a little bit like you to what you said, this sort of like father son relationship of like the son sort of uh, uh, superseding his his father figure. He's now the 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 uh, the bigger authority. He's the one that has taken charge. So I think Bridger in some way is maybe not emasculated, but he's he's not taken as seriously as he is and this the, you know younger upstart person whether it's someone that he respects and loves is, is getting the sort of um uh they're listening to him and giving the accolades that he once had i think i think it creates an yeah, interesting yeah that's dynamic. driven home when hudson takes lucas aside as the new father figure and tells him the story of the time he beat his dad at a pool for the first time and uh, <laughs> emasculated his father <laughs> yeah that that was one of those ones i was like i don't know if that was needed uh, we kind of skipped over it a little bit here, Jordan, but you'd mentioned it last in the last sort of episode. But this is the first episode when when Bridger comes back, he gets on the ship and he asks what happened to Lieutenant James Brody. And they kind of inform him he died recently. And uh, obviously you don't know what mm. happened. But Jordan, I know exactly what happened. What happened? I had to watch the episode. <laughs> Oh, that's right. A uh, little fun behind the scenes thing is that uh, over the course of these three years, the DVD and the IMDb titles don't match up. So we've been uh, having to co- kind of uh, course correct ourselves and what episodes we're actually watching. And I have to keep changing the files. And Luke had gotten a little ahead or shouldn't have had. He was on time and watching episodes. And it almost finished the episode when I realized he was watching the wrong one and changed it. So so Luke got to watch a whole extra episode of Sequest. So I know all about the Spindrift folk. <laughs> I started that episode. It seemed terrible. It wasn't a very good episode, was it? It was fine. It was fine, actually. I would have been happy to talk mm. about it. But now I have seen it. I know exactly how James Brody died. <laughs> so give us the quick recap. How did he die? No, you watch it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. I don't, I'm not going to. <laughs> I told you it involves the Spindrift folk. Oh, that's right. Okay, sure. <laughs> That's that's classic them. Anyway, yes, this is this is this is where we kind of are. Is that our our captain's back? He's at odds with the crew, and the crew. I, I liked it. I liked the, everyone, not just Lucas, but the entire crew is kind of just like off put by like how at arm's length their old captain has been. Um, but Bridger stamps his feet, and uh, you know he's like, "I'm not going to let you do this." Uh, you know, this is how we messed up this ecosystem the first time by releasing some sort of organism into it to like attempt to solve a problem. So he, he's got he's got a few subs with him, and he essentially tries to set up a uh, a blockade to prevent Sequest from entering the quarantine zone. It is funny that he goes to such lengths. Like it does seem like he knows he thinks he's right or knows he's right, but it's like, wow, you're really really pushing this you think there'd be like he could have delayed things or something but he's like no i'm going i'm going full force he does he does but it's not too much use because uh, captain hudson immediately emps all the subs so they're they're all knocked on offline except for bridgers because he was he was anticipating this he he used to run sequest he knows what their capabilities are and bridger hacks one of the whisker drones that fly around sequest and uh, basically gets in a backdoor security exploit to shut off their engines and basically leave sequest dead in the water for a bit yeah, I, pr- pretty good. I mean, and again, I, I, it's, a, it's a good setup for an episode that he knows the ship better than anyone else. Um, I mean, it's a little bit of like, oh, he knows how to like deactivate it so quickly. Eh, okay, sure. But it's like, it just is more of, you know, this is um, an adversary that's not easy to to 
take over even though they're the more powerful ship. It's a good way of um, diminishing the overpower of a sequest. Yeah, it's a battle of wills because you know no one's going to kill the other one. Like, you know, these are two mm-hmm. heroes uh, butting heads. This is Avengers uh, Civil War happening. Whose side are you choosing, Hudson or Bridger? <laughs> And you know what's funny? As you mentioned that, I invariably, and I think you probably felt the opposite, I was immediately on Nathan's side because he, I, I like, if I was the the president of VEO, whatever they're called, I would have gone with him because I just was like, it makes more sense. Uh, even though it seems like a maybe more dangerous thing to like do nothing, um, just like putting more stuff into the water, it was like, wasn't that, that was the problem to begin with. But we'll talk about how, what the, the resolution on the end is. I actually thought they were so close to really doing something interesting story-wise and then they had to pull back a little bit to be like everyone's right but anyways i i was i was kind of team bridger the whole time i was anti-sequest oh no i was anti-bridger i i don't like this i don't like this deadbeat dad showing up and uh, throwing his weight around i don't know i i I have to say this i do think there was maybe i I think we would maybe feel differently i think there was they really try to up the relationship between nathan and lucas i don't know if it's entirely earned as as this show does like i i know they did have a father-son figure you seem to think it was more than even i did i was just like i don't know was it was it that close they really keep pushing it but I'm like maybe we just didn't see enough episodes i was like i don't know were they like they were a father-son at all times this is like the greatest strife of all time yeah man you have to keep faith you have to have faith it all worked out in those other episodes you didn't watch i guess <laughs> at any rate sequest lucas you know he's on sequest he's the science whiz He's able to like undo what Bridger's done because he's the only other person who could do it. And with Sequest back online, mm-hmm. they they blast out Bridger sub's propeller so he's dead in the water and can't interfere with them any further. You know, it just keeps escalating that way. And um, Sequest, of course, ignores all Bridger's holier than thou complaints about them sending out uh, sending out this bio agent, and they they shoot it out. By the way. Luke, what an editorializing on your side. His holier than thou. Let's just say he's right. He's not holier he's not than thou. Right. He's right. He, is, he could have done this in so many better ways. He just stamps his feet like a child. No. What it is is instead of waiting, this little brat is like, I know better than anyone else. And so I'm not going to listen to people who have more experience than me. And he's like, and he's wrong. Big time wrong. They both. So there's your two views, people. They both brought their proposals to the boss. The boss considered them both, and he made a decision. And Bridger didn't get his way, so he's pouting. It's well, it, it is true, but it's also because he knows he's right, and they're going to do a terrible thing. Is what and what is that exactly what they do? <laughs> they yes, they they start shooting out this sort of new uh, fixation thing, and it it goes out into the water, and they're like they. There's a sequence where, you know, it seems to be working, the uh, the microbes dying down. We kind of have a, we have a little breath in the episode where uh, we get a chance for Lucas to go uh, discuss his frustrations with Bridger with, I guess, Darwin, whose new job is ship's counselor. It's just because they need to they need to use Darwin. It's dumb. It's like I, I, I the whole scene is just like he goes and talks to the dolphin. It doesn't matter. It's a very funny sequence. I like it. He goes there. He's like. Darwin, I'm so frustrated with my old father, Bridger, who's being a jerk out there. And Darwin's just like, I don't know what frustrations are. I'm not a human. And then he explains what frustrations are. He's just like, well, you know when you're trying to catch a fish because you're hungry, but you have trouble catching the fish? And Darwin's like, no, I always catch the fish. I'm a great hunter. What do you want from me? Yeah. And that's why it's like, it's, it's there's no point to the scene. But not only that, Jordan, not only does Lucas go to have a discussion about his feelings with Darwin while he's there, 
Lieutenant O'Neill drops by to also have a therapy session with Darwin. <laughs> That's true. I was like, I, this is really interesting. What is happening with this Darwin character? All the characters are dropping by to discuss their feelings toward Bridger with Darwin. And and uh, as we go forward, uh, let me ask you, Luke, your, uh, your team Lucas here, his, uh, his magic cure, how well does it work? Well, obviously, it doesn't work well. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the rest of the episode. Uh, <laughs> it gets into the it gets into the microbe, and it causes the microbe to evolve. We get like a it pushes in, and what we see is like the microbe hardening into something else. And the microbe starts melting the bio skin of Sequest. So Sequest is suddenly taking tons of water, and anytime the microbe in the water touches a crew member, they immediately become gravely ill. So things are going very bad very quickly. <laughs> Yeah, like it mutates to the point where it's not just affecting sea life, it's affecting uh, human beings as well. Not that human beings are worth more than sea life, but... You say that all the what time. What they're though. seeing is this... Pr- <laughs> I do say that all the time. But uh, but they see that this problem is, is going to be exponentially worse because it's going to affect essentially everyone on Earth. <laughs> because Because Lucas is a little brat... And his little cute boy hair, he didn't stop and think about. He just wanted to show how smart he was instead of listening to his elders. He proposed a perfectly reasonable solution. It just didn't go well. <laughs> I love that Ron offsets sides of this. Um, yes, they, have, they find out they have 12 hours before this super bad new microbe is going to hit the coast. So Captain Hudson calls up the UEO. And he, he's a man who takes action. I, I'll give this to Captain Hudson. He calls up the UAO and he's just like, hey, I think you need to shoot us with a gamma warhead immediately. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. And, and, and uh, they're, they're just like, yeah, okay, we'll do it. Well, this is, this is brought up earlier in the episode. And this, I think, goes to Hudson's character. But this is not the first time he's dealt with an outbreak. He dealt with, uh, let me see if I can find it here. Um, it's a hantavirus. Yes, he had the the Caracas hantavirus uh, yeah. in 2012. He was sent to deal with it, and the only solution to it then was also to use an X-ray bomb to, uh, <laughs> or sorry, an X-ray laser to wipe out 50 miles of like all life around this hantavirus, and nothing has lived there since. So he's just like, I know what we have to do in this situation. We just have to gamma warhead this place. <laughs> That's his solution. To everything. I bet you you'd like that idea too, wouldn't you? You'd be you'd be a team sequester for that idea. I mean, he's doing what has to be done. It's gone wrong, <laughs> and he's willing to admit a mistake. He's like, let's just gamma warhead this place. We're all gonna die, but it'll be worth it. Yeah. So I, I do like this. The stakes have been raised now, where they realize they've done this thing. It didn't go the way they'd wanted. It actually went quite worse than they had wanted, and now. They've basically been like, well, you have to kill us or this is going to spread to everyone. And so the authorities are like, yeah, okay, we're shooting the shooting the missile at you guys. Yeah, yeah. it's going to take the missile a couple hours to get there. So uh, Hudson gives Lucas permission to go work with Bridger on trying to find a solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. But Bridger, because he's a stubborn little baby, he's already taken a mini sub <laughs> out of his own ship to go into a trench. He's hoping that he'll just find something randomly in the ocean that will solve all problems for everyone. But he didn't tell anyone where he's going, and his sub has crashed at the bottom of a trench, and he's just down there dying uselessly. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree. This was not his uh, finest moment, um, but it's because they need to have this sort of like heart-to-heart with these two characters. You're like, they've been butting heads, but maybe they're a little bit more similar than they both believe. Yeah, so Lucas goes out to get Bridger to help uh, with solve the problem with him. Lucas is all about teamwork, and uh, he finds Bridger. He's dying at the bottom of the ocean. Bridger's just like, let me die here. Just leave me to die. I don't care about that grandson I left up on the surface with that nanny. It's fine. 
Yeah. But Lucas is like, no, I'm getting you out of here. And he saves Lu- uh, Bridger, and Bridger's like, oh, I also found this algae that'll solve all our problems. Good news. Yeah, that's right. So there's like, they have this magical thing, and uh, and they uh, they get back on board. And I, I, there's like this thing where like, it's it's funny with the different way we saw this episode, because I know you were really irritated at Bridger. I was irritated at Lucas, because I, I thought, imagine like at this point, what would have been, I think, interesting for his character is he's someone who things come easily to him. He's smarter than everyone else. He's younger than everyone else. He's better looking than everyone else. Things have gone well for him, and he's good at what he does. But he's not infallible, and in this case, he made a big mistake, I think, partially out of hubris. You can obviously argue the other side for Bridger. The way I felt was that he sort of was, uh, again, thinking he was infallible. He's not. I think this was an interesting point in this episode for him to just be like, I was wrong. And, and I'm not as perfect as I thought I was. And I thought that's a really interesting character growth for him as, as a character in the show. And maybe that's maybe it's perhaps unfair, but I feel like they pulled it back a little bit because they're like, well, no, everyone has something wrong. I'm like, but I, I felt like it weakened that character growth that you can have of a person like actually seeing him become more of an adult, like being able to admit you make a mistake and then trying to f- fix that mistake is actually becoming an adult as we've seen him grow for three years. Does, does that, does that hold water with you or you disagree? Sort of. I think you're wrong about some of it. Like I think the person who has the hubris problem in the episode is Bridger. Bridger has hubris and he won't let anyone tell him otherwise. Whereas Lucas is just like trying to stand up to a man who won't listen to him. I, and I, but I think you're right. I think the character growth for Lucas is there is that, you know, he gets selected, his solution gets selected. It goes wrong. And as soon as it goes wrong, he's just like, well, I need to go talk to my mentor and we need to team back up. Like we, we work better together than we do apart. And so he tries to go rent. He goes to mm-hmm. repair that relationship. And like Bridger has to get over his hubris and his like stubbornness about always having to be the one who's right to work with Lucas. Like that seems to be what's happening. Right. Yeah, I guess I guess we just you and I just see it slightly differently in terms of like how it's weighted, because, again, I, I think. Bridger's only here in this episode as a way to develop Lucas's character because he's not a major character in the show anymore. He's just, he has that weight of that father figure. It's not about Nathan changing. It's about Lucas changing. And I think they did miss a little bit of turn by not having that slightly hard lesson for him because again, at the end, it's going to be like, we both made a mistake. It's like, okay. I, I, I just I just think it's like they pull back a little bit where they could have, whatever it could have been. Maybe it was, if it's like you feel it's about uh, Nathan's hubris, then they should have leaned into that more, I think, at the end. I guess so. I mean, what, essentially what happens is they get back to the ship. They're able to uh, use the particle, and they're like, it's going to work. It'll it'll save the crew who's dying from getting covered in microbes. It'll it'll cure the water. We have one last problem. There's a gamma warhead on the way to blow us all up. And uh, they call up the UEO, and the UEO is like, oh, we didn't put a fail-safe on it because we were afraid you were going <laughs> to chicken out of dying, so it's just going to hit you either way. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was a weird thing, right? And it's, it's funny because it's just like added at the end of the episode. They're like, yeah, I mean, normally we'd be able to stop it. But this one, we were just like, no, we didn't want to stop it. I'm like, you think you would have had some sort of fail safe for, again, the ship that apparently is keeping the world at peace. <laughs> you know? It's true. So uh, Hudson's just like, there's only one solution. I'm going to have to take a mini sub out there myself and, and like detonate <laughs> the warhead before it gets to Sequest to save us all. But they're like, if you do that, any slight jostle will kill you. And he's like, yeah, I know. 
I'm going to die saving the crew. This is my grand sacrifice. And Hudson flies out there. He's like next to the warhead flying next to it. And they're like saying goodbye to him. They're like, as soon as you touch it, it's going to explode. And he's just like, I know. And he's like, oh, no, wait, actually, you know, I just remember there's lasers on here. So I'll just cut it in half so I don't die. I was just like, they do all this setup to be like, he's going to die. And then the last second, he's like, oh, I forgot about lasers. I won't die if I use lasers. I'm like, what? Well, I know because because he just he essentially cuts off the warhead head. He just cuts the and missile like, in half. He cuts it in half. Yeah, I was, I was, I was like, but isn't it still a problem? <laughs> They're like, nope. <laughs> and they just spend so much time building up this idea he's about to die, and you're like, how are they going to solve this? And then the last second, he's just like, I have a laser. I'm like, but what does that mean? He's just like, I don't die. I'm like, what? <laughs> Yeah, but the more important thing is they now have this algae that was magically found at the end. They're to shoot into the water. Uh, Nathan and Hudson get to have like a conversation about stubbornness. You're like, okay, and uh, uh, things start getting better. Yeah, yeah. We cut to two weeks later. The microbe is destroyed, though the sea is currently devoid of all life. Uh, per every, uh, all the all solutions involve <laughs> things being devoid of life. And um, that's right. Lucas and Bridger, you know, they're making up for their weirdness. Mm-hmm. And this is what you're talking about. It's like near the end, Bridger's like, I re-looked at my study. Uh, I was wrong as well. My my study, my letting it burned out wouldn't have worked either. Yeah. And so like, fair. I just, I just felt like in terms of a character development, specifically for Lucas, I think it would have been more interesting for, regardless of whether Nathan acted poorly or he was smug or what it might have been, I think it would have been interesting to be like, you're smart and you're going to be better than me. But one of the lessons you're going to have to learn if you do actually want to be better than me is that sometimes you might be wrong and you have to learn how to fix that. Now, he kind of does that the episode. I just think they pulled that back to be like, well, we don't want Lucas to be wrong. So he kind of was right too. And it's like, oh, well, that kind of, doesn't that just like like make the rest of the episode kind of weak? It's not that he was right. It's just they were both wrong. <laughs> well, that, well, that's what I mean. It's like, well, uh... Then, then the whole episode was them fighting about both being wrong. I'm like, I, I just don't know if that was needed. Yeah, I think what they're trying to do is the the, le- the lesson I think they want is that, like, it's better to cooperate than just fight over things yes. for no reason. Yes, yes, you're right. But I, but then it's like it, that gets muddled in the episode. I think it's, it's so close to a really good episode. But I just think for whatever reason, I think the moral gets muddied. And I also think the fact that you and I kind of watched it in different ways is maybe a bit of a a tell of the episode not entirely executing as well as it could have. Or maybe it's executing perfectly. We both saw different angles on it. Perhaps, perhaps. But anyway, that's the end of the episode. It wraps up with Bridger giving a quick update uh, about his current life. And he's just like, I still haven't found my son who faked his death. Well, I'm off. (laughs) Goodbye. I love that they added in. He's like, anyways, I got to go find my son. I was like, oh, yeah, no one cares. No one cares about your little voyage. You really abandoned your son and your grandson to come (laughs) deal with this microbe for no reason. It's true. He left it with the nanny. Um, and that, that wraps up that particular episode. I don't know, Jordan, any final notes on either of these uh, these these episodes? No, I think I think this is a interesting new take on a show. And I think more than I would have thought, I think this is a course correction that is working for the show. Yeah, I think so too. Well what do you want to give what do you want to give uh, Brave New World the kind of retool for ep- for season three? I I think you probably like this one more than I do. I feel it got a little bogged down, not entirely all their fault, but I think like the actual episode, there's not much there. There's a lot of backstory and a lot of like hand waving. I think it's kind of a fun way to bring them back. 
but I think the overall episodes, like, it was okay. I, I like what they were trying to do, but in terms of, like, an episode, like, I wouldn't go watch this episode again. I'm going to give it a six and a half out of ten. Better than the second season, I'll say that. Um, I agree. I think it is also a six and a half. I, I honestly, I do think they did a good job considering jumping off points they had to have. I mm-hmm. like the mystery. Obviously, it falls apart at the explanation, but the mystery going through is a fun. It feels very much like a mid two thousands lost kind of thing happening. Like they're just not too worried about how it got there. But there's a there's a weirdness and a mystery hanging over the episode, which is good. I get the retool. I understand what they're going. You know. Your results will vary if you want this to be a more grounded military show. That's where they're headed. So, yeah. like, your results are going to be vary on how you feel about that. But it does feel like they're they're they they're very clear. Like, this is the new show. Let's go. I think they do a much better job establishing the characters that I think they did in any previous one. Like, I feel like I understand these characters now. So, I don't know. I, th- I thought it was a good start to season three. Yeah, and and I should say to your point, I think whether you like the new show or like the tone of the show, it's the most consistent I think it's been, which has been a problem for the show before. Especially, I know you like those kind of weird episodes of the second season. I felt like it was just like, what insanity is going to happen? And I just thought like every episode, they were like desperately chasing people. Be like, be my friend. Whereas at least this are like, this is what the show is, everyone. Yeah, remember that episode where they were chasing that crocodile saying, be my friend? <laughs> They're saying that to the viewer. Be my friend. Look at this terrible crocodile. Um, what do you think about the uh, the episode seven equilibrium? Equilibrium. Um, yeah, I think it's a pretty solid one too. I think um, I feel like it was a good episode. Not a great episode, but I, like I don't think I agree. I, I don't think sequels can ever be great. But I was just like, hey, you know what? This is a decent episode of a show. Like if you put this on, you'd watch mm-hmm. it all the way through. You know, I while we disagree with who was right or wrong in the scenario, I think it was a, it was a good use of Bridger coming back. I'm a little disappointed we had to watch a Bridger episode just because like I'm curious what it works how the show works without Bridger, but for bringing him back, I thought the writers used him really well as a, a good antagonist. It was a good use mm-hmm. of him around this like story of just like what to do in this like particularly situation. I, I'm going to go 7. Yeah, I'm going to go a little bit higher than you. It was almost an eight for me. I just, I again, I've explained. I, I didn't like, I felt like the ending they pulled back and went a little softer than I would have liked. But I'm going to give it a seven and a half. I think this is the best episode of the show and the best iteration of the show I've seen. Whether it's going to get better or there's any, they're ever going to have everything coalesce in the same way, I'm not sure. But I think, I think I made this point earlier on. If this is what the show was from the beginning... I think it would have, if not stayed like this, would have been a develop in, developed into a, a pretty interesting show. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Pretty good. That's probably your highest rating for a Sequest, eh? I think so. I think it's my favorite Sequest episode. No, yeah, there you go. I don't know what's my favorite, but it's a good one. I just, I like, like, it's kind of like a moral dilemma. It's like, I think that's what they can do well, and it doesn't have to be so C-focused. It's just like, it just, that just happens to be the context with which with they're playing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Well, I think it's pretty safe to say with those ratings, we don't have to worry about the escape pod this week. We're not. We're definitely not taking it. This is bringing up the rating, if anything. Yeah, we're going to wrap up the show soon. That's right. Next week will be the final two episodes of Sequest. We'll finish off season three, uh, the, or at least finish off the episodes we're watching of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But on that note, uh, if we've missed an episode of Sequest that you, you would wish we'd go back for, or maybe, maybe you want Jordan... <laughs> To watch the one where <laughs> Lieutenant Brody died. I don't have to do anything. I've already seen it. You have that opportunity. 
<laughs> because of bonus episodes for charity. If you make a donation to one of uh, a charity a group of charities selected by our past guests, we'll go back, we'll watch an episode of uh, a sequence that we skipped, or if there's another show where we skipped episodes and you're like, I really wish you would talk about this one episode, but you took the escape pod or you're doing the best of, so you didn't watch all the episodes, this is your chance to get us to go back and do a, do a bonus episode about it. Um, you can find out all the details at our website, continuumdrag.podbean.com, or on social media. It's in the it's in the link in the bio, so you can find it there. And of course, you can always email us continuumdrag at gmail.com if you have any questions about this or anything else. I mean, listener uh, that uh, li- that listener, I want to say John. I wrote it down. <laughs> I think it was John. Yeah. Yeah, listener John, send in some good information about Sequest that I I, I watched and got a little bit of information around uh, around the. Uh, head of ambulance tv department so that's the emails there for those reasons there and then of course on instagram twitter and facebook we were going to have clips from these episodes microbes we're going to have microbes we're going to have the year 2032 it's all going to be there apparently a lot of roy scheider yeah you think so he's off the show though. i don't i don't know well he not not in these episodes <laughs> Um, the handle there is at continued drag if you want to if you want to see some clips from the from these episodes but that wraps it up so listener thank you for joining us and jordan i will see you next week see you then continuum drag is recorded in toronto ontario and seoul south korea theme music by james rick seedler produced by jordan delic and luke black special thanks to aaron yunes <laughs>